Sometimes we need a little inspiration, and Real Things Living podcast does just that. Real Things Living has a focus on resilience and connection with others. Those connections lead to ideas, to solutions, and to better overall health. This podcast is brought to you by Gemini Media. Gemini Media delivers the best solutions for business communications through collaborative relationships. Hey y'all, it's Bridget Cutshaw with Real Things Living. Thank you for listening. Today, my guest is Gary, and Gary is a grief counselor. Gary, believe, I believe, lives in Texas, and he's a pastor as well. Um, I'm going to introduce you, Gary. You can talk a little bit more about what you're doing. Hi, Bridget. It's good to be, good to be with you today, and hello, everybody out there. Um, yeah, you know, many times uh, people, at least in the hospice world, call me a grief specialist, and <laughs> then people ask, what in the world is a grief specialist? And my sense of humor just wants to say, well, I give people grief all day long. <laughs> Right, I love that. That's, uh, well, you know, if there's one thing that is, if there's one thing that's universal about all of us is that we all experience loss and therefore we all experience grief and how we navigate that really matters and impacts our life, our, our life greatly. So um, I'm just honored to be with you today and uh, honored to have this conversation together. Right, it's, it's so important because everybody experiences grief in some shape or form. And especially as we age, you get older, like myself, more loss is happening around yes. you, right? Yes. And you're it, you got to deal with it. How are you going to handle it? And my, uh, my mother, she's, she's a psychologist and, and is a counselor too. She's retired, but she was for the government. She did it for military um, veterans. Mm. Analysis. So she saw a lot of stuff. And I think that helped, her possibly when my stepfather passed away so unexpectedly it helped her because she knew what to expect I get it didn't come out right but it but yes she knew because she she saw a lot of stuff and she kind of knew how hard it was going to be and it's just amazing that how people like my podcast is about resilience how you can overcome it but you do have to give yourself time to go through the grief process and that's kind of what you focus on and you do uh counseling i know i was reading at churches and at schools and do you focus when you're at school is it high school level or does it matter great question um uh, you know for me most of my losses for me personally occurred early in life i mean i've I've had a lot of losses from the age 17 on but uh, really major ones before the age of 17 um, I lost two grandfathers very early, lost large chunks of my childhood to um, the evil of sexual abuse, multiple wow. perpetrators over multiple years. Um, and then I, I lost a best friend in seventh grade. He was 12 years old over Christmas break to spinal meningitis. Oh. Uh, you, you know, in my mind, he just disappeared. You know, he was there before Christmas break. After Christmas break, he wasn't. And I got to spend the rest of my seventh grade year uh, in homeroom, staring at that empty desk in front of me. And this, this kid, this was one of those kids that, you know, you ask the question why about anybody, but you know, 
great grades, good athlete, nice kid, you know, real easy to relate to. Um, and I, I really remember that was the first time I ever asked the question, you know, why? Why do things work out the way they do? Um, soon after that, my, my parents' marriage was never really good. My, my household was one that, you know, looked good on the outside, but then on the inside, it was a different story. Right. Um, lots of anger in my household. Uh, my mom had been slipping into mental illness for a number of years, but in the late 60s or 70s, you know, we didn't know really what to do with that. And um, so my parents eventually separated and divorced. I lived with my mom by default. Um, she slipped further into mental illness, ended up being, uh, you know, taken into inpatient care for a while. So I moved in with my dad. Uh, it was a great six months with my dad. We had a bachelor pad for a little while. <laughs> And uh, then one Sunday afternoon, he dropped in the kitchen of a heart attack. Oh, no. And, uh, you know, they never, they got his heart resuscitated, but there was never any brain activity. And so I... And that's not a good situation. <laughs> that is not a good situation. So after a week, they turned off the machines and my mom got out of psychiatric care, moved back into that apartment. But it wasn't any better than it was before. She attempted to take her own life. Oh, wow. And um, very suddenly I was a functional orphan. And if it, had not, if it hadn't been for good teachers at my high school and really solid friends, and I was a competitive swimmer. And so my schedule was absolutely packed. You know, every moment was accounted for and all of that kept me sane. But all of that by the age of 15, and I remember thinking, wow, this is not what I anticipated. This is, life is, life is tough. You know, you get hit. And I thought, you know, what if the real definition of success in life is learning to handle the hits of life that come, learning to handle them well, and then turning them around and using them for good somehow? Now, I couldn't have expressed it like that when I was 15, but that's kind, right. of, that's kind of what was going on in my brain. And so, as a result, went to college, studied psychology, uh, went to seminary, went into the ministry, um, served as a number of years as, as a missionary and then as a pastor. And now for the last 10 years or so, I've been almost exclusively in the grief and loss realm. Um, so, back to your original question. <laughs> which is what age kids right, do, you, do I do work you with? Focused. You know, that age of that tween, you know, about 12 to about 17 or 18, I, I think I have a real heart for that age and for college students as well. So much happens during those years. So many changes occur. And when a loss invades that, um, you know, it can really be like a nuclear warhead going off in a kid's life. You're and, yep. and, and in our world, the, the whole issue of suicide as well and suicidal thinking, you know, that has become so common. It's almost become a trend or a meme. Why, why do you think that's happening now? It just, I mean, I've known my, my sons are adults now, but they've had some friends that have had committed suicide or drug overdoses. And these are kids who are from well-off families, you know what I'm saying? They're maybe because they had easier access to certain things, but I don't understand. I don't remember a lot of that suicide happening when I was a teen. I don't remember that. Um, 
maybe because I was so focused on you know, my home situation, but it, I just don't, do you know, have an idea of why this has seemed to ex accelerate it recently or maybe because we're talking about it more? Well, you know, I have, I have some ideas and I have some theories and, okay. and there, and there is some, some of it is research-based because there is some good research out there right now. Right. The, the problem with the research is it is so recent and the spikes are so recent that it's hard to get a feel for it over time, if that makes sense, over right. decades. Um, we do know this much. Uh, we know that since the year 2000, the suicide rate has gone up 30%. That's, wow. across, that's across the board. Uh, we know that it is the second leading cause of death for teenagers, car accidents being, you know, number one. Um, we do know that suicide takes 20 veterans from us every day. Right. We know that it, it takes an American life every 11 minutes. Um, we know that for every successful suicide, which is kind of an oxymoron, but for every successful suicide, there are 27 suicide attempts. So uh, where is all of this coming from? And um, I, I think it, it is significantly different than when I was in high school. Right, me too. Very, very different. Very different than when I was in college. Um, my guesses as to this are um, tweens and teens are exposed to so much more information than they were before. Right. So many, so many, so much adult information, so many adult themes. Um, you know, I had a coworker um, at a sister organization here to the hospice that I'm currently employed with that her 12 year old nephew recently committed suicide uh, by hanging himself. And oh I gosh. thought, I thought to myself when I was 12 years old, what was I thinking about? Right. I was skateboarding, right? <laughs> I, right. You know, and, and I was, I was calling into radios uh, requesting Elton John songs. And, right. That too. Correct. You know, it was very, very, very different. I also think that social media plays a huge role in this. Now, I'm not saying, and I know you're not, and I know you know this, but um, I'm not saying social media is evil. Social media, like anything else, can be used for good, and it, it can be used for bullying. It can be used to shame. It can be used to evaluate and criticize. Um, and so think about all the images and social media that the average tween or teen is exposed to. And of course, every picture is perfect. Yes, and it's not normal. <laughs> no, it's not normal. There are filters. There are effects. Um, you know, we live in the midst of, a, midst of a digital selfie age where our cameras are always pointed at ourselves. We're very much in our own heads all the time. And we look ahead. And at least from the teens that I've talked to recently, a lot of them look ahead and there's, you know, they don't see much hope. Right. And, and when you don't see hope, um, it's just a matter of time before that begins to chip away at you. Uh, another thing that I heard recently while it's on my brain and uh, forgive me, whoever the author of this was, because I cannot recall it was an article online but the statement was 14 is the new 24. Wow. And, and 28 is the new 18. In other words, what that means is a 14 year old is acting much like a 24 year old in my generation. 
In other words, they've been exposed to certain ideas and themes and their mind is thinking about those kinds of things. Um, at the same time, they're forced to grow up so quickly that a lot of things that are, are natural maturation processes get left behind. And so at the same time that 14 is the new 24, 28 is the new 18. Right, they wanna be young again, right? Yes. So that, that's just my guesses. I think kids are exposed to a lot more heavy material than um, we were. And so they're thinking about totally different things. Anxiety and depression as a result are way over the top and on the rise. Yeah, exactly. My, my sister is a middle school teacher and she teaches seventh graders. So she teaches those kids that are that you're like between age. She, she sees a lot of behavioral issues and a lot of it too is, uh, I think part of it is based on what her experiences of parents expect the teachers a lot to do accountability and they're not helping their kids and i don't know what their home situation is but they we have we've made too many weird uh and i should say improper but uh, accommodations the teachers are having to take up too much of the burden of not just teaching but to help raise and so that stresses everybody out in the situation but the teachers as well and they're um right it's just amazing how it's just, I think our culture has changed because of social media. It's not just the teen. I think the culture, and I'm sure the adults, the parents, we don't know. I can't, I don't want to make a general statement, but they expect, their expectations of the school system um, is not, what's the word, realistic, I, I think sometimes. There's a lot of, you know, I think the parent should be responsible for a lot of stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. School's there to help you, but uh, I think that's part of it. It's just our culture. That's my personal opinion. I have a, a niece who just turned 14, and she's seen a lot of stuff um, that she shares. <laughs> We're like, okay. Yeah. So my sister has um, reduced the amount of time she can be on the internet, which is good, and, and, and her phone. But, right, you just don't know what uh, people are dealing with at home even though I'm saying this about the teachers. So maybe their home environment, like you said, is not good. And um, it's just, I'm so sorry, I got a phone call. <laughs> but um, it's, it's uh, but that's kind of why I try to, we need good role models, like what you're doing is great. And I think that's important. I think we put too much um, emphasis on having celebrities be our role models. I mean, maybe that, that's just my personal opinion. <laughs> I think the everyday person should be a better role, you know, someone in your neighborhood, because that's who you deal with realistically. Uh, mm. um, so you mentioned uh, that you've got like some uh, projects you're going in for about the suicide prevention. That's what you're focusing on. You've got an adult version and a, a teen version. And, and a teen version, yes. Okay. Um, it, uh, I love these projects that kind of happen on their own. In other right. words... Uh, to be honest, I didn't really want to address this issue, and um, I, I didn't really want to write about it, um, but usually what happens is for about a year, a particular issue will knock on my door over and over and over and over again, and um, I have done in the last two years over a dozen suicide funerals. Oh, wow. 
Um, and every one of those, and I will call them victims, every one of those victims um, was under the age of 25. And um, I, and, and then finally, after a good friend's 19-year-old son ended his own life just before Christmas of last year, I thought, I thought, okay, I, I have to, I would like to do something. What can I do here? What can I contribute to what is already out there that is new, that is maybe a little different? Um, and so the result of that is, is what I'm calling the Suicide Prevention Project. Um, there, are, there, there, are, there are four books. Um, the first two are called Living on the Edge, How to Fight and Win the Battle for Your Mind and Heart. And there is, like you said, there's a teen edition to that. There's an adult edition to that. This is a very brief book. It is 35 to 40 pages in length. It's designed where anyone could pick this up, be able to relate to it. It is easy to read. It, it, the basic theme of it is, because of our world today, we're all kind of living on the edge. We're wondering what's going to happen next. Right. But there's a difference between living on the edge and leaning forward into the future and walking along the edge of a cliff. And so how do we exchange the edge of the cliff for the edge of our seat? Right. And um, the book is really about the fact that we've all bought in into certain lies, as I call them, um, lies like I'm worthless. There is no hope. I'm damaged beyond repair. Uh, I'll never get any better. I'm not good enough things like that. Uh, we've all bought into some of that stuff, which eventually contributes to our anxiety and depression and right. ultimately can lead to suicidal thinking. Right. Um, so the book really begins to address those issues and it addresses suicide directly. Um, and then for those who are interested in going further, there's a companion larger book um, that comes after these two smaller ones. And the larger book is called Difference Maker, Overcoming Adversity and Turning Pain into Purpose Every Day. Because life is tough, and I believe we are all difference makers. Right. The, question, the question is just what kind of a difference are we making? And what kind of difference do we want to make? So these books are really about turning thinking away from uh, the anxiety producing and the depression, the depression producing issues and lies and things that we've bought into and beginning to embrace the truth about who we are as difference makers, believing that and beginning to live that out step by step by step. So um, the goal is really to get that first book, Living on the Edge, into as many organizations that serve youth uh, that would be, you know, schools, youth, youth organizations, church youth groups, uh, et cetera, and getting the adult version into as many counseling centers, veterans organizations, and other places as possible. And to keep it, we wanted to keep it too as affordable as possible. And that's one reason why it's so short. Right. So that's a long, another long answer to a short question. Well, that's, that's a, I mean, it helps to understand what your purpose of you know, what you're doing with this suicide prevention project. I really think it's a great idea. And it is not just the teens, it is the veterans. It is just adults who feel lost, right? They have. Yes. And there's different reasons why. And it could be, um, I really 
everybody's situation is different. And I was just lucky mm -hmm. because I have, I have a supportive environment as well. I think that is important. A lot of these people, maybe they don't have supportive environments. Um, a lot of people think that someone's going to save them, but sometimes you do have to put in the work a little bit. And that's, I think that's, again, a culture issue. They think everything is good, right? And there's someone's going right. to save them. But no, you have to work hard and life is tough. And both of us got to where we are because we had to put in some effort just to be here. Yeah, yes, there is a, um, you know, there's, there's a phrase I use a lot because I found it to be very true, at least for me. I'll just say for me. And that is that, you know, healing is not for sissies. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, you have to, I mean, goodness, it is, it's hard. Healing is hard, yes. um, but it's always worth it. It's always worth it going through the process of healing. It's worth the results and it's worth the process. Of course, the problem is sometimes things seem so dark and maybe they really are dark, but we tend to find whatever we look for. And, right. and if we look for light and we look for hope, chances are we will find it because light is always there and hope is always there. Sometimes though, we just don't have eyes to see it. And that's where we really need to recognize that we are not in this alone. We cannot go this alone. We need other people and have to include at least one other person uh, in, in our lives that we can really be real with um, in order to feel safe and grow and heal. That cannot happen, I believe, on our own, because I really believe we're wired for relationships. And as a result of that, healing takes place in the context of relationships. So we need people. We need each other badly. I, I definitely thrive a little bit. I mean, I feel I get energized when I'm around people. Maybe that's, I, I do. And I think, again, it goes to back to our culture. We're so focused on our phones, right? And so we're individual. We're just individuals and they're looking at how everybody else is doing and you've got to have a support and kind of change the topic a little bit. I remember in high school, it was my coaches that helped me mm. get through, uh, you know, my parents divorce and everything. And it was, I don't know how, you know, what I would, <laughs> you don't know how would I acted if I didn't have my coaches pushing me or my little sister who needed me there to help her make dinner, you know, and that's why we need, maybe that's why I like taking care of things you know, something, because it brings me joy, except, is that the right word? And, but it does, yes. I, I'm one of those people, but I also at the same time to make sure to take care of myself, right? And you think, why do you think um, this mindfulness that's really popular, I think this is related to what you're, you're saying, to look for hope and light? I think there's a correlation. I, I do. I, I think the whole mindfulness movement to me um, I tend to be a very simple guy, at least in my at least in my own mind. I I need <laughs> I need simple math to make things work, and um, so when I think of mindfulness, I think living in the now is what yeah. we're talking about. Yes. We're talking about living in the present. Now, why would we need to do that if we're always in the present? Well, it's because we don't live there. We live in the past, or we live in the future, right? right. Correct. So, so we live most of our life in our own heads rather than 
in the world as it is in the moment. And I think that's huge because if you think about, for example, most of the issues that people experience in grief, anxiety, depression, anger, sadness, uh, frustration, confusion, uh, panic, wondering about this or that, uh, the things that we experience with suicidal thinking, et cetera, are usually a result of something that's happened in the past and are thinking about that, or we're looking ahead to the future and it looks pretty dark. Right. Right. Where, where, wherever we are at that moment, we're probably not in the present. And so I think mindfulness is a huge uh, plus to all of this. As much as possible, living in the now and, and what does that look like? But then that's not enough, at least in my mind. In order for me to live in the now, there comes a point at which I have to deal with and process the things in the past that are still within me, right? as I would say. They are still there and they need to find a way out. They need to find a way to be processed. And the things that I fear and wonder about in the future, how do I process those and let go of those so that I can live more in the moment? I really like your explanation. Uh, a lot of people think it's kind of frou-frou when they hear, and they do, when they hear mindfulness because mm -hmm, they think mm -hmm. it's hippie-ish, which is fine, but I, like you said, it's being in the moment, focusing on the here and now. My husband and I like to go like watch the sunset together. We're in that moment, right? And together, and we're not worrying about tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, you still have to, but I'm just saying that you just got to take a break and then you can spend time with each other. Just walking in the woods, it's kind of being mindful to me. That's why I, I like to be, I don't know if I've always enjoyed that. And so everybody has their, has their thing about being mindful and focus on your kids, right? Why they're there. Cause my God, I can't believe my kids are 21 and 24. Like how did this happen? But we had some great memories together and it, you know, but it, the future is gonna, who knows what the future will hold for them. But I enjoy spending time with them when they're around me. I try to remember that same with my uh, family. That's important to me. I'm sure, you know, you had mentioned earlier you have adopted kids. That's amazing. Um, congratulations on that. How, what are their, their age ranges? Oh, well, thank you. I, uh, you know, we do tend to be really influenced by our histories. Right. <laughs> and the, the one thing that I didn't share earlier was at 15, when I became a functional orphan, what happened? Well, lo and behold, another family on the swim team came and knocked on my door. Uh, they already had four kids, and I went to live with them for the last three years of high school. That's beautiful. So there was no paperwork filed or anything like that ever. I just kind of became a part of the family. So, and that changed the trajectory of my life, Bridget. That, that family and experiencing all of that. And so as a result, it's not an accident that I'm an adopter as I call it. So okay. I, have, I have seven adopted kids. They range in age from 28 to 12. Um, the first three are Colombian, adopted from Colombia. Uh -huh. And uh, the last four are all siblings as well. So two groups of, of wow. si siblings there. And uh, I never know what to expect still. <laughs> Especially with siblings, right? 
yes. Uh, I try to outsmart you, I'm sure. Yes. And in all of these cases, you know, grief and loss has pay, played a significant part in their lives, as you might have guessed. Um, all of them have lost their fathers. Right. All seven of them. And uh, some of them have lost uh, their, their mom or their country or, um, you know, the place where they grew up, right. uh, a sense of safety. Um, there's abuse in some of their backgrounds. Right. Um, so there's, there, there's a lot of things there as there are with all of us. And, you know, I had a mentor in college that said two very valuable things to me. Uh, one thing he said was, Gary, it's not so much what happens to you, but how you interpret and respond to what happens that's really important. Right. And I thought, oh my goodness. And the second thing he said, after I had majorly messed up with something that I can't recall, um, <laughs> he, he, he said, it's not what you did, but it's what you do next that matters most now. Right. Those two things put together, if I assimilate both of them, it's not so much what happens, but how I interpret and respond to what happens that really matters. And it's not what I did, but it's what I do next that matters most now. If I can keep those two things in view, then life is really about overcoming adversity and turning pain into purpose every day. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful statement and probably a good way to end this conversation. Um, so Gary, where can people find you online? Just uh, visit me on my website. It's GaryRoe.com, G-A-R-Y-R-O-E.com. And um, I do have a free ebook out there on my website that if you just go to my website at GaryRowe.com and just amuse yourself for about eight seconds or so, it will <laughs> pop up on your screen. And it's called Grief, Nine Things I Wish I Had Known. And it is relevant for any loss in your life. And there's some other resources as well there and links to various books, etc. And if you're especially interested in the Suicide Prevention Project, either for yourself or your teen or someone else, there's a big link on the navigation bar to Suicide Prevention Project and a number of ways that you can get involved. And if you have any questions, uh, I read and respond to every email, Bridget. So uh, you can go to the contact Gary box at the bottom of any page and simply email me. And uh, it might take me a couple of days to get back to you. <laughs> you got seven kids. Okay. I yes. really appreciate this. So this is beautiful. What you're doing is beautiful. You've overcome what you dealt with as a, as a child. And you're truly a great example of resilience. And you're helping others. You're making an impact. And I appreciate everything that you're doing. And humoring me on my little podcast here. Oh, yes. <laughs> Bridget, I'm, I'm, I'm just proud that folks like you can start podcasts like right, this. Right. I just had yeah. to, it's just something, I saw something like, I'm going to do this, you know, and I'm just going to try it out. And so far, so good. People like it. And it's on, you know, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And so it, it's just really great. And I appreciate it again, Gary, and hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Bridget. You too. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I appreciate your time and I thank you for listening. 
please subscribe to the podcast or leave a comment. Now go have a great day. Thank you.